Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning, and they do a great job. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. And we'll have Andrew Joppa with us as well. Andrew is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is February the 1st, and on this day in 1848, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was signed, ending the Mexican-American War in favor of the United States. The Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo added an additional 525,000 square miles to the United States territory, including the area that would become the states of Texas, California, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico and Arizona, as well as parts of uh, Colorado and Wyoming. Controversy during and after the war pitted President James K. Polk in a political war against two future presidents, Zachary Taylor and Abraham Lincoln. Polk, a Democrat, ignited the Mexican-American War when he sent his commanding general to the Army, Zachary Taylor, and his troops to claim territory along the Rio Grande River between the U.S. and Mexico. Polk insisted Mexico had invaded the U.S. when an earlier skirmish between the American and Mexican troops erupted over the ill-defined territorial boundaries of Texas. Polk's actions were immediately denounced by Abraham Lincoln, then a leading Whig member of Congress, who described the resulting war as unconstitutional, unnecessary, and expensive. While Taylor performed his military duty in Texas, Polk wrestled with Congress opposition led by Lincoln in Washington. Polk was a firm believer in America's manifest destiny of increased U.S. territorial expansion in order to bring democracy and Protestant Christianity to backward regions. Lincoln and his cohorts protested not so much expansion itself, but Polk's justification of the war. Although the war ended favorably for the United States, Lincoln continued to attack Polk after the signing of the treaty for his lack of an exit strategy that clearly defined citizenship and property rights for former Mexican citizens. Lincoln called the president a bewildered, confounded, and miserably perplexed man. Although Polk's uh, war was successfully lost public support after two bloody years of fighting during which the U.S. lost 1,773 men and spent a whopping $100 million. Meanwhile, Taylor earned national popularity for his heroic actions during the war and for the camaraderie he shared with even his lowliest subordinates. When the war ended, Taylor decided to run for presidency. Polk chose not to for his presidency, and uh, Taylor barely won uh, the popular vote. Unfortunately for Lincoln, Taylor and his immediate successors failed to address the issue of slavery during their terms, leaving the question to of course, over the bloody Civil War a, a decade later. Kind of interesting, the reason Polk, James K. Polk, didn't run for president is because he had severe hemorrhoids, a little-known fact. In any event, can you imagine 525,000 square miles uh, in this treaty per, and creating these states in the United States? 
It didn't create the states. It created the territory to create the states. Newcomer and former executive Beth Petronoff and incumbents Ray Crispin and Terry Hutchinson won Tuesday's election for Naples City Council. Petronoff won 23.8% or 3,899 votes, followed by Hutchinson, who garnered 23% or 3,763. I mean, that's just about 120 votes difference. And Crispin took the third most votes with 3,000 496. John Dugan, a realtor and former management consultant, took home 16.9% or 2,700 votes, followed by former Naples police officer Ian Rudnick with 14.8% or 2,426 votes. Uh, in 2018, 26% of registered voters cast ballots. This year, almost 40% cast ballots. So uh, more interest now ta- being taken in the elections. The top uh, three vote-getters will be sworn in on February the 16th at the Naples City Council meeting. Look forward to uh, Mayor Bill Barnett's, former Mayor Bill Barnett's comments about this uh, tomorrow in tomorrow's show, at the end of tomorrow's show. Well, the U.S. national debt has surpassed $30 trillion, according to the latest data released by the Treasury Department, marking a new milestone as government spending and borrowing continue to surge. The new record is for the government's total debt outstanding, which includes $23.487 trillion in debt held by the public and another $6.525 trillion in uh, intra-government debt, such as uh, federal trust funds. I'm guessing that would include the Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid. Spending in my Congress was already increasing at a steady clip for years before the coronavirus sparked a borrowing surge of $5 trillion in pandemic relief that exacerbated the rate. $30 trillion in debt is an obscene number, but what's even more depressing is the fact that most politicians in both parties don't really care. If they do care, they're certainly not expressing it, said Ben Sasse. He's a Republican from Nebraska. Someone is going to have to pay for the money, and when these politicians are long gone and spoiler alert, it won't be paid by them, but instead by our kids, said Sassy. Uh, Ignoring the debt won't solve the crisis. It'll only make things worse. We need to cut the budget-busting spending sprees and do real entitlement reform. Boise, you right about that. Uh, Don't know if we'll get around to it in this term for sure with President uh, Joe Biden. And just exacerbating the whole problem, President Joe Biden's transportation of border crossers and illegal aliens into the United States interior cost American taxpayers, get this, at least $340 million in the first nine months of this year, of 2021, I should say. The data obtained by uh, Representative Mo Brooks following an inquiry to the Department of Homeland Security shows the extent to which Biden's massive illegal immigration inflow into the United States is costing American taxpayers. From January 2021 to September, for instance, the Biden administration spent at least $340 million transporting border crossers and illegal aliens into the U.S. interior. And by the way, this figure only applies to border crossers and illegal aliens whom the DHS considers detention-related transportation and may not include the taxpayer money funneled to federal contractors and non-governmental organizations who are facilitating illegal immigration. The Biden administration has been flying border crossers and illegal aliens into the United States interior for months. The operation, which will help of, uh, with the help of private companies and NGOs, 
uh, cross uh, flies border crossers and illegal aliens from the southern border to small to medium-sized airports in New York, Florida, Pennsylvania, and other states, mainly swing states. Most recently, the Transportation Security Agency, or TSA, unveiled the border crossers and illegal aliens are being allowed to border commercial domestic air flights by bypassing standard photo ID requirements. In fact, they're actually accepting uh, arrest warrants as proof of who they are. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. In the same period, Biden spent at least $212 million to provide medical care to border crossers and illegal aliens in federal, federal custody, paid for by taxpayers. The data also shows that Biden, as of December the 10th, has flown nearly 46,000 unaccompanied alien children into the U.S. interior. This figure does not include the hundreds of thousands of border crosses and illegal aliens who have been released into the United States interior since 2021, January 20th. As of last year, the total was around 530,000 border crossers and illegal aliens. That's unconscionable. So what are we doing about it? Well, Florida joined a multi-state coalition led by Texas suing the Biden administration for reinstating an Obama-era program that allows illegal immigrants to enter and remain in the United States, bypassing laws established by Congress. In addition to Texas and Florida, there's Indiana, Missouri, Montana, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Alaska joined the lawsuit over the Biden administration's reinstating the 2014-era Central America Miners uh, Program that was halted, or CAM, by the Trump administration in 2017. The lawsuit announcement came after attorneys general from 12 states, all Republicans, participated in the border summit in McAllen, Texas, in the area hosted by uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson. Santa City was astonished to learn how many illegal immigrants have been apprehended uh, in their uh, said in their final destination after coming through the southern border was Florida. The most are going to Florida. The complaint highlights the harm the program is causing Floridians. Unbelievable statistic. And uh, hopefully they'll win this lawsuit and we'll do something about it. Although we've seen even the Supreme Court has made judgments. The Biden administration doesn't seem to be responding. So how do Americans feel about all this? Well, just 1% of Americans view President Joe Biden's economy as excellent. 1%, that according to an ABC News Ipsos poll conducted on Sunday, or revealed on Sunday, the poll asked respondents how they would describe the state of the nation's economy these days. Only 1% said excellent, 23% said good, 47% said not so good, and 28% said poor. Combining the categories into a positive and negative responses, 75% of Americans said Biden's economy was not so good or poor. Only 25% it was good or excellent. A 50-point differential. Yeah, so Americans, they're, they're paying attention. They understand what's going on. And while Biden was campaigning in 2020, he promised to improve the economy and shut down the virus. Both promises, of course, have remained unfulfilled. Well, at Johns Hopkins University a Literature Review and Meta-Analysis of the uh, Data Analysis of the Effect of Lockdowns on Mortality Stemming from the Chinese Coronavirus, 
virus found that lockdowns have had little or no public health effects and have imposed enormous economic and social costs when they've been adopted. And while this meta-analysis concludes that lockdowns have had little or no public effects, they have imposed enormous economic and social costs when they've been adopted. That according to the authors of the Johns Hopkins University Review. In consequence, lockdown policies are ill-founded and should be rejected, of course, as public uh, policy instruments. The authors noted that uh, public health experts and politicians have embraced compulsory lockdowns as an effective method for addressing the pandemic and their meta-analysis answers the question on whether lockdown policies have been effective. And, of course, our meta-analysis fails to confirm that lockdowns have had a large, significant effect on mortality rates, although it doesn't address the uh, indirect costs of, for example, drug overdoses and some of the other things that President Trump has highlighted as problems with these lockdowns. Now, the effect of border closures on school closures and limiting gatherings on, of COVID-19 mortality yields precision-weighted estimates of 0.1% to 0.4 minus 4.4%. Negligible benefits. So let's get rid of the mass. Let's get rid of the closings. Let's open up the Let's not make this mistake again. Although my fear, of course, is that elected politicians just love the rush they get when they are taking control and using power. That's unfortunate. Our founding fathers really got it right when they understood and wrote the Constitution. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples Law air conditioning company also by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is lifeinnaples.net coming up bob levy chairman of the cato institute that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network stay tuned for more of the bob harden show here on the bob harden broadcasting network I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community and with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment and wellness, 
continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4534. That's 252-3534. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob's an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, w last week we started our discussion about abortion. Of course, it's been in the news because of cases in Mississippi and a controversial bill in Texas. So just picking up on where we left off, what about the argument that abortion is constitutionally guaranteed privacy right? Well, libertarians generally reject the notion that abortion and privacy rights are based on the same under underlying uh, principles. If, if you think about two cases that are often characterized as privacy cases, the first, the abortion case, Roe v. Wade, and the second, uh, Lawrence v. Texas, where the court held that homosexuals can engage in consensual sex acts in their own, in their own homes. It, it serves no useful purpose, in my opinion, to lump those two cases as privacy cases, as if, you know, the outcome in one of those cases necessarily di dictates the outcome in the other. The question in Roe was whether or not you have a right to abort, which could mean murder if life begins at conception, or mm -hmm. could mean the mother's freedom to control her own body if life doesn't begin until birth. The issue in Lawrence was quite different. That's the freedom to engage in consensual acts without injury to anyone, mm -hmm. other than the participants, if indeed to them. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Supreme Court, in my view, had no grounds on which to resolve Roe because there was no objective basis by which nine justices could determine whether abortion is a deprivation of the of the right to life. If the, if the fetus is human, then abortion is clearly a violation of its rights. On the other hand, the court had perfectly valid grounds on which to resolve Lawrence, which didn't concern the violation of anyone's rights. A, a ban on consensual sodomy within a home it's no different than a ban on watching TV within a home. It's a it's a deprivation of liberty under the Constitution. So we shouldn't be, I think, uh, uh, treating these two cases as if they're uh, properly grouped under the rubric of privacy. Mm, interesting. So if the Supreme Court shouldn't be setting the abortion rules, who should be setting them? Well, some argue that, you know, abortion is just a medical issue and it's best resolved 
by the mother and her doctor. Um, I don't agree with that. Uh, when it's possible that somebody's rights are being violated, either the mother's right to control her own body or the fetus's uh, right to life, we can't leave those matters in the hands of mothers or doctors mm-hmm. who may be parties to the, to the dispute. So abortion should be decided by voters acting through their state uh, legislatures. So, you know, suppose a mother and her doctor decided to uh, kill a sickly infant because the, the mother's mental health would improve. Or suppose a son decided to kill his uh, el- elderly mother with a doctor's help uh, because the son would be relieved of emotional distress. You know, those actions are crimes, mm-hmm. uh, but only because the political process that is, legislation has declared them to be uh, crimes. Mm-hmm. When, when we define the rights of, of, of fetuses and infants and handicapped persons and the elderly, that, that definition cannot be left to individual doctors and their patients because doctors, no less than the rest of us, occasionally do bad things. Mm-hmm. And through our legislatures, we declare what actions are impermissible, and when we consign those decisions uh, to the legislative process were almost always better advised to vest the power in the state legislature and not the U.S. Uh, Congress. And that way, people who are grieved, who don't like the, the legislative decision, can at least have the option of redressing their grievances by residing in a different state whose laws are a bit more congenial. Yeah, so interesting. It's a tough decision. It's <laughs> really a, a, a decision, probably above anybody's ability to really uh, work through. It's you know one one of uh, uh, spiritual uh, beliefs or whatever it might be. But irrespective, a law has to be made in order to, uh, you know, in some way control what's going on. So, what's the current state of law? Well, you know, this issue has divided the nation for over a half century. So we're soon going to find out what the current state is. Um, I personally agree as a policy matter with the viability standards that's embraced by Roe and by Casey. And that's the mainstream liberal position. But as a constitutional matter, the legal framework should have been established by state legislatures, Mm -hmm. not by the U.S. Congress and not by the U.S. Supreme Court. And that, of course, is the mainstream conservative position. So interestingly, the court is now dealing with these two controversial and divisive cases, one in Mississippi, another in Texas. The rallying cry by liberal pro-choice advocates in both of those cases is my body, my choice. Mm -hmm. And paradoxically, that's the same rallying cry that's adopted by conservatives in the anti-vaccine movement. My body, my choice. So that rallying cry seems to serve dual purposes, depends on who's mouthing the words. I think there's hypocrisy abounding on both sides of this issue. Hmm, Interesting. So uh, tell us about the Texas law. Well, Governor Abbott in Texas and the Texas legislature enacted uh, what's called SB 8, which is the Texas Heartbeat Act. It bans all abortions after six weeks supposedly when a heartbeat uh, can be detected. <clears throat> there are no exceptions for rape or incest. And most importantly, this state is barred from enforcing the law. Instead, it can only be enforced by private parties. 
and they get a $10,000 reward for each successful suit. And that, you know, clever tactic was intended to prevent what's called pre-enforcement challenges. Mm -hmm. If the state were authorized to enforce the law, then doctors and hospitals and abortion providers and mothers seeking abortion would surely be able to have the law invalidated even before it's enforced because the law quite clearly violates uh, Roe and Casey. And its mere existence discourages persons from obtaining an abortion. But if only private parties can enforce the law, then there's no identified party to sue until the law is actually enforced because plaintiffs can't, after all, sue every private party who might at some point decide to bring an enforcement action. Plaintiffs have to wait for that enforcement action uh, to occur. A very clever legal tactic. That's so interesting. So who do they sue then? <laughs> Even after the fact, do you sue the private citizen? You end up with a, suing the state, don't you? Yes, you, you, you sue this. Once the law, the law has been enforced, of course, then there is clearly an injured party and a party who can be sued. So the party who can be sued, the state is certainly culpable for having enacted an unconstitutional law. The problem is the state can't enforce the law, so you can't sue the state. But you can sue the private party that enforces the law. Not until that private party, however, does enforce the law. That is so fascinating. Bob, I'd like to pick this conversation up next week. Maybe we could talk about the current state of the law. Just genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show. Again, uh, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-3000. 
1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. You know, uh, it's great having you on the show, and we always start off uh, just to characterize it for our listeners that might be hearing the show for the first time or so. Uh, I'm usually the optimist of the, of the two of us, and you in many cases are being pegged as the pessimist with regard to the outcomes that we see in terms of our culture. So uh, any good news today? Well, I'd like to say I'm a uh, I'm an optimistic pessimist, Bob. In other words, I, <laughs> I uh, pursue pessimism because I think it's the best way to achieve the, the optimistic outcomes. But that's a long discussion. We'll get into that deeper at, at some other point. Uh, today, uh, I'd like to, to note that I am four days deep into the next 50 years of my marriage, Bob, and so far, so good. So wow. I'd like to <clears throat> make note of that, and I think it's it's worth noting. Um, Congratulations, of, uh, 50 years of marriage, right, Andy? Well, 50 years on Saturday, and so, excuse me, I'm four years, four days now deep into the next 50, yeah. and um, uh, it's so far, it's as, it's as good and beautiful as the, as the first 50, Bob, so I'm, I'm pleased to announce that, uh, that positive thing. Uh, Fab today, fabulous. Fabulous. Now, in terms of uh, our real conversations, that, that was my personal comment. Um, in my little note to you, in terms of what I was going to deal with today, I talked about the, the scam is breaking. Perhaps in the larger sense, the scams are breaking. If the scams aren't breaking, then at least the, uh, the walls of the scams are, are cracking. I, I can see that happening all over the place. If we look, for example, at the concept of identity politics, 76% of the people polled uh, felt that the, uh, the choosing of anyone for any position based on a racial or sexual gender characteristic is inappropriate. Now, of course, that is uh, in, in reference, the, the poll was taken in reference uh, to uh, Biden's comment of uh, nominating a, an African-American woman to the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, that's just absurd uh, in terms of its, its, uh, what it suggests. It suggests that there's something so unique uh, in a African-American woman as a basis of race and gender uh, that, in fact, it makes them different than everybody else. Uh, that's exactly what racists would say. The racist basic position was that all people of a given race or gender are all the same. And that's exactly what this suggests. Now, the leading candidate for the Supreme Court at this point is is Clyburn's choice, and that's uh, J. Michelle Childs, a district court judge. And you know, based on all my research, she seems like a a sound jurist, although I can't tell because as as I read, it has absolutely nothing about her constitutional positions. Mm -hmm. Is she an originalist, for example? That does not does not show up. 
But I, w- I would suggest that, and I believe J. J. Michelle Childs will be confirmed for the uh, Supreme Court opening uh, created when Breyer retired. Uh, but I think it'll forever taint her, her Supreme Court uh, seat uh, as a result of what is obviously an affirmative action circumstance, regardless of Lindsey Graham's con- uh, 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 comment that it was not. Obviously, that appointment will be an affirmative action appointment, which basically is choosing from a limited number of candidates based not on competency or proficiency, based entirely on a unrelated characteristic, in this case, race, uh, race and and gender. Uh, I would note that if J. Michelle Childs is chosen, it will not change any vote in the Supreme Court uh, that would have been made with Breyer still on the Supreme Court. What will be what will be changed uh, is the writing of her dissenting or supportive uh, positions for the majority position. Those writings tend to take on almost a legal standing in themselves. So I think as J. Michelle Childs comes onto the court, and I believe she will again, uh, I think we're going to see her her opinions change from Breyer's. Um, I'm, I'm not optimistic about that. I. I I've seen too many of the minority appointments in these situations in the liberal uh, uh, in the liberal side of the of the coin uh, who become uh, radicalized in their approach to uh, to any area that they're dealing with, Bob. So um, in terms of uh, the uh, the scam breaking in this case, it deals with identity politics and the vast majority of Americans, Bob, are against the concept. And in this case, specifically against Biden's uh, uh, approach of using uh, race and gender to appoint the Supreme Court member. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, it just appeared to me it was his, his moment to uh, virtue signal. That's <laughs> what it amounted to. And, and a very bad decision because this is going to splash on whoever he selects. Uh, is, was he selected because she was black and because she's a woman or because she was the best candidate? That's uh, she's a, He's absolutely... Uh, uh, blurred the line on on that decision. Should have just selected the best candidate. Could have it at the end of the day selected a black woman uh, that would have perhaps accomplished that without without uh, the uh, moment of virtue signaling. You're absolutely correct. He could have he could have accomplished the same end in a much healthier model. I think what happened with uh, Biden is he was pressured by Clyburn uh, to make an announcement specifically at a point in time on stage that he would appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. And I think then Biden became locked in because of the pressure from Clyburn. And you're absolutely correct in uh, how you define that. He could have done this in a, in, in a lot of different ways. He could have uh, put forth a list of viable candidates, which might have included uh, some white men, some white women, gosh knows, uh, many are available. And at the end of the day, he could have still chosen uh, Jane Michelle Giles. Mm-hmm. But it would have been a much healthier concept for, uh, not, not necessarily for the outcome, on the Supreme Court, but for the general way America deals with these situation, situations of this type. You know, but uh, the, another piece of this is that certainly this announcement just really kind of changed the scent with regard to the economy, with regard to inflation, with all the other problems, Afghanistan, you name it. This president has just absolutely got a horrible record in his first year as president of the United States. And uh, the, he, I think he's fortunate for this, and as well as Ukraine, to perhaps uh, take uh, notice away from all the other things that have gone wrong. 
It does that, certainly. I um, mean, it's uh, probably for the Biden administration, it's it's probably necessary. I mean, uh, Pisaki just announced, uh, I guess, yesterday that a crime is not a problem in America. I mean, certainly that uh, <laughs> President Biden has it under control, while all statistics in terms of violence or, or theft or grand, grand larceny, armed robbery, every category uh, of crime has gone up substantially right. uh, in 2020 and has increased again as the numbers come in for 2021. So you're, you're right. I mean, I think this is a distraction. Uh, whether that was the intent, it certainly is what has uh, been the result. Uh, you, you mentioned Ukraine. I was going to stay away from that today. But look, let me just make one general concept without getting in, into any specifics. I would suggest that much of the reaction to the Ukraine situation is a derivative of our demonization since 2015 of Russia mm -hmm. and of Putin himself. Now, that statement does not suggest that there isn't an issue here and perhaps even a problem issue here. But I would suggest absolutely that the, the hyperbolic reaction to this is a derivative of the demonization of Putin and Russia since the advent of, uh, of uh, uh, Donald Trump as a as a political figure. So um, that's not a complete statement about Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, obviously. But I think uh, I think it is a truth that is worth considering, Bob. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, the other piece of this is that if if in fact we end up in some sort of engagement with Russia over Ukraine, who benefits? And just take a look at the lobbies, the uh, the war lobby that that is absolutely enraged about any opportunity to to uh, benefit. Benefit. And I'm talking about uh, Northrop Grumman, the, the big companies that uh, that produce all these uh, war utilities. And, and uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's really absurd because, quite frankly, the, the uh, prime minister of Ukraine basically say, hey, look, cool your heels, man. There's nothing going on here. We, we've we've all, we've solved this problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing to see here. And nothing yet, when see. you look at the Americans that are supporting their neocons, particularly that are supporting this, almost all of them have uh, ties in some way to the military industrial complex. Yeah, uh, so, again, this I, 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 I hate to position this entirely uh, based on the profit motive of the, the arms industry, for example. But yet that is undeniably part of what is going on here. Uh, the, the size of that part, Bob, I, I can't determine. But I think there are many corrupt options in this process yeah. that make the decisions uh, very tainted as they occur, Bob. Absolutely. So I, I kind of interrupt your flow, though, because you're talking about scams. I would imagine the other scam that we're talking about is the COVID hoax. Uh, well, I think that one is truly a scam that is that is breaking. At least uh, I think there's a growing public awareness of, uh, of, of several different things, and, I, and they're becoming more uh, more pronounced in terms of the, the, the public dialogue. And just this is a, an anecdote from my teaching world. And, uh, and I point this out because it has never happened before. I, I'm teaching a class in a humanities class in ethics, and we're dealing with medical ethics. One of my students wrote, I am not a doctor, but I do, do not believe that people that are not vaccinated have a lower chance of living than people who have been vaccinated. She's talking about the uh, denial of a transplant uh, because the person was not vaccinated. Now, that kind of student uh, a comment coming from a student in the Northeast is very rare. I, I wrote back, you are, in my estimation, correct about the denial of the transplant because of lack of vaccination. The data you cite consistently indicates that the vaccines and boosters, although producing short-term benefit, are damaging to long-term immunity. 
it is just the opposite of the reason cited for denial. So uh, I'm not claiming heroism and I'm not uh, claiming heroism from my students, but I would say, and I, you have to sort of take my word for this, uh, this type of exchange in a, in a classroom for a college in the Northeast uh, is rare. So I'm optimistic that this is changing. If we look at some of the data that's, that's coming out, uh, about this, particularly in regards to the U.S. military. Now, Senator Ron Johnson highlighted some of this uh, a while back, but uh, I think for your audience, if they have not been exposed to these numbers, I think they, they have to hear the end result of the, the vaccination process as it's taken place in the U.S. military. Myocardial infarctions have gone up 269%. Cancer diagnosis is up 300 mm percent. -hmm. Bell's palsy, 291 percent. And I'll skip to the bottom, but the most significant part of this uh, extensive lip list for neurological issues, Bob, a thousand percent increase in the U.S. military. Now, what does that mean in real numbers? In real numbers, it means that in the year prior to the pandemic, that'll be 2019, there were 82,000 cases that can be defined as neurological disorders. In the most recent year of analysis, with a full analysis available, that would be, uh, we're just coming in for 2021, uh, 863,000 cases. Now, we're talking about a military that's approximately a million 500,000 uh, strong. So if we're talking about um, uh, 870,000 approximately of these troops that are being affected in some nondescript way because of uh, neurological disorders, we're talking about the possibility that our defense process has been dramatically weakened as an end result of receiving the vaccines and the boosters. That case is almost so, so definitive uh, because of the numbers and when they occurred that it cannot be denied. These are real numbers and real impact, Bob. You know, and it's what's interesting about this is the de Defense Department has real numbers from their populations, but it's very difficult to get real numbers out of uh, CDC, out of VARS, uh, 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 scorecard that they have with regard to unintended consequences from the vaccine. So we can be grateful for this information, and we should heed the information because there's no question in my mind that the vaccines have caused real harm uh, to many, many people here in the United States. That, that is a, a growing awareness, and I think that's why the, uh, the scam is busting, as I, as I, uh, I had it before. Uh, even if we, excuse me, if we go into other areas, now the United States military, as you were just highlighting, is a, an important sense, a, a source of data because it is, it is so well documented and so apolitical uh, mm -hmm. in these areas. So that's an important source of information. But if we look into the international soccer market, for example, uh, soccer, football, um, there's a 500% increase in the number of deaths uh, of soccer players in the first six months of 2021 compared to the entire year mm -hmm. of 2020. Now, can I say that this is a direct result of, uh, of, of uh, the vaccination process? No, but when you're looking at dramatic increases like that, these aren't just nudges, Bob, two, three, four percent. We're talking about a 500 percent increase in the numbers of unexpected deaths in young, very healthy athletes, uh, soccer players in this case. Uh, so the, these are real circumstances that have to be understood. Uh, and people that are um, lamenting uh, the vaccines are certainly on very, very sound ground. Yeah. Uh, not only the after vaccine impact, 
Uh, but if we just look at the efficacy of these vaccines, and again, I, I'm trying to stop calling them vaccines. These are what I like to call as preemptive therapeutics. Right. Uh, in other words, they are really not preventing anything, which is the, uh, the hallmark of a vaccine. These, in fact, uh, at their best, in the short term now, uh, tend to minimize the symptoms, which is a very important consideration. But in, both, in, the, in the immediate long term, we're not talking about 10 years down the road, uh, but within, the, within a year, uh, the efficacy, the short-term efficacy of these things that are called vaccines has worn off. And in fact, the uh, natural immune system of the person is weakened dramatically. Uh, so you can see you know, there's something called uh, a negative efficacy. So we're seeing a negative efficacy with these vaccines. Uh, we're seeing in, in countries that have widely vaccinated, like, like Israel, they have the highest case rate of, of COVID. If we look at Sweden, for example, Bob, that uh, for most of the pandemic period stayed away from any uh, impositions and mandates uh, and vaccination requirements of any sort. Now that they've done it, their, their, their COVID rate has shot up through the, uh, through the sky at this point. So we're looking at uh, outstanding numbers, outstanding in the sense of their size. Uh, we're looking at something that might be seriously damaging the long-term health uh, of Americans, weakening the United States military. Um, and this is an outrageous process uh, that it goes on almost with no one getting in front of this uh, this train wreck. Bob. Yeah, and uh, just raises this question. If you were a parent, would you have your child vaccinated? I have serious concerns and reservations about that. Andy, we need to take a little bit of a break. Can you stick around? I will be here. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. 
Find out more by visiting OptumEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptumaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, providing policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Hey, I wanted Again. to get, you, get your thoughts about uh, Whoopi Goldberg has been the, given a timeout. <laughs> well... A timeout, two weeks to slap on the wrist, they're not a big deal. I mean, others have been fired for far less. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg, to me, it reflected a, a significant trend, not in the entire African-American community, but a significant portion of that, and that is anti-Semitism. Whoopi Goldberg's position that uh, uh, that uh, the, the crimes of Hitler during the Holocaust, and I'm a Holocaust expert. I, I, I initiated courses in the Holocaust at my college, so, uh, you know, I, I have a deep investment in that. Uh, but, it, you know, Hitler never complained about the religion of the Jews he was killing. He never talked about their doctrines, their dogmas, any of the provisions. He talked about uh, the, the Jewish people as a race. And I am 65 percent Ashkenazi Jew. I am 65 percent European Jew. And no matter where uh, a Jew lives in the uh, in the European community, they will, if you go to Ancestry.com, uh, be documented as as being European Jewish. That's And that's what I am. I'm not religiously Jewish. I have been raised as a Catholic, uh, but in fact, genetically, racially, let's call it, uh, I am I am a I am a Jew. Uh, proud of it, not uh, certainly not ashamed of it. That's ridiculous. But we look at Whoopi Goldberg, and I think she exposes uh, a general problem that exists in much, much of the black community, which is a strong, strong anti-Semitism. Uh, when I started my Holocaust classes at my at my school, the only negative pushback were were black students who said, "Well, why are you teaching the Holocaust? Shouldn't you be teaching about the slave trade?" And uh, my answer was certainly, "Yeah, I mean that's a legitimate topic." to be taught. I think it shouldn't be ignored, obviously. But this course is about something specific and precise. And yet the pushback was entirely, exclusively coming from my African-American students. Uh, if we look at crimes of violence against the black, uh, the, uh, the Jewish community, uh, the majority of them, not all, certainly, but the majority of them are uh, coming from African-American sources. Now, please, for your audience, I am in no way condemning the, the larger African community. Uh, uh, African-American community. I am suggesting that there is a preponderance of anti-Semitism that uh, Whoopi Goldberg's statements exposed in terms of a underlying negativity uh, towards the Jewish community. So I, I think that's a wider issue than is being uh, discussed, and I think it's an important issue to be identified, Bob. That's so interesting. Without uh, the input that you've given us right now, I, I assumed that she basically was thinking about race as being simply black skin versus or, or co uh, colored skin versus uh, white, and uh, that's that was her point of reference. But you bring up a good point because there clearly have been many crimes by black people against 
against uh, uh, Jews, and that's just so unfortunate. But nevertheless, the other thing I'd suggest is that, uh, you know, in, on that show, I would imagine if you sat and listened to what they had to say, you could probably give each person on the show a timeout for a couple of weeks <laughs> because there's so much outrageous stuff and nonsense that's being expressed on the show. Yeah, so. I, I certainly don't want to focus on the African-American community. I think everyone on that show is absurd <laughs> with, without exception and has been so for many years. Um, early on in the show, I, I used to watch that on occasion, and uh, now I, I, I don't, so my comments are without a lot of immediacy to my awareness, right, right. Yet, yet that that's what I'm reading about, Bob. So, uh, Andy, you you used uh, Les Mis as an important reference point in your teaching, or always uh, have in the past, as you reported on the show. Uh, what are your thoughts now with regard to our society and our culture? Well, using Les Mis, and as I pointed out to my readers, and I'll point out to your listeners, uh, I have seen the musical Les Miserables, Les Mis, uh, 31 times, and I, I love the musical. I, I brought my students to see it to uh, uh, many times, almost all of those 31 times, uh, because of the ethical issues that were being uh, displayed uh, within the Les, Les Mis uh, libretto, and it was just, just an outstanding experience. A lot of my students were, were inner city. They had never been to a Broadway show, uh, and so I exposed them to Les Mis, and almost all of them felt it was a, it was a remarkable experience. Uh, for my readers, I, I wrote that <clears throat> the, the protagonist and the antagonist, the protagonist in Les Mis is Jean Valjean. He is a moral hero. He is always trying to do the virtuous thing. He's being pursued for his whole, almost his whole adult life by a policeman, Javert. Javert is the antagonist in this. Now, uh, I'm probably the only person in the world who thinks Javert is the hero of Les Mis. Mm -hmm. Javert comes into that story as the representative of law. He says the law must not be mocked. So, as I wrote about the characters of Valjean, I extol the Valjean virtue I think that's necessary for a good society. Uh, on the other hand, what's missing in America are enough Javers, people who uh, uh, adhere to the law and say the law will not be mocked. Unfortunately, for those that are not familiar with, with Les Mis, there is a really tawdry, despicable, corrupt character, and, and that's the Nadier, an innkeeper. And I think what we're seeing in America is not the Jean Valjeans. We're not seeing the Javers. What we're seeing is an overabundance of Thernadier's corrupt malignancies that are damaging and destroying this society. If we can't undo those Thernadier's, Bob, then I think there's no chance or little chance of America recovering from its current problems. So uh, describe the characteristics uh, of the innkeeper that uh, really help you, uh, that uh, make you draw this conclusion. Well, if we look at the specifics, I mean, Thanatier is a, is, a, is a body robber. He'll go around with uh, some of the uh, after moments of the, the riots in the streets of Paris in 1848. He'll, he'll steal from them, his customers at the inn. Uh, he robs from them. He overcharges them. Uh, he is, he's just a despicable character by every possible measurement. Uh, there's not a, a, a moral or legal bone in this man's body. And I, I don't think that's an overstatement is what we're seeing uh, with much, perhaps not all always, uh, not 
not all, ever. But what we're seeing in the American political left is that same grouping of people uh, without a moral bone or a legal bone in their body as they approach the basic issues, the basic problems uh, of America. And I think, uh, unfortunately, Bob, uh, they're dragging too many other Americans with them. Uh, so I think, uh, again, to change the topic or move it into another uh, area, uh, 2022 is, I believe, going to be perhaps the last moment uh, to change America, get America back. Uh, I think waiting to 2024 in the presidential year, uh, I think if we let it go that far, if we don't take back the House, take back the Senate, uh, it, gaining a significant majority in the Senate, uh, I think America will not be able to recover from four or three more years, in this case, of an unimpeded uh, Biden presidency. Uh, we can't let the Thanatiers rule us, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Andrew Jopp, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Genuinely appreciate you joining us so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk soon, Bob. Thank you as well. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary uh, rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had and learned a lot today. I thought it was a great uh, great opportunity to learn. We have some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. 
Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon, so we'll talk about a medical practitioner in the trenches in healthcare. We'll also visit with a former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Look forward to get his comments on uh, the election in Naples and, and his thoughts on that. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>